Well, hey, everybody, so great to see you, whether you're here in the room or joining us online. I'm truly honored to have you along for the ride. Now, before we get going today, I want to celebrate once again uh, this week that we are a church that exhibits unity under Christ amid diversity, including and maybe especially in our collegiate affiliations. Okay? So, in fact, I just got to show you uh, what happened last afternoon during an epic eight-year-old soccer battle to the death at the Mary Friedman YMCA. Uh, My wife, Sarah Ann, and Pastor Bob were spotted together, representing their respective schools uh, of whom they vote, right? And so whether you're here and you're a Spartan fan, and woo, if I may say, right? Or you are a Wolverine, again, woo, (laughs) I'm just saying, right? Or even, and I'm going to just say it, and if you're a Buckeye. Oh, I said it. Okay, you're, you're still welcome at Keystone. Although we do pray for you. Just wanted you to know. Yeah, anyway, um, as many of you know, we're in the third week of a very special series called 25. And it's named in honor of the 25th anniversary of Keystone's first service. And we really wanted to seize this opportunity to talk a little bit about Keystone. Like who we are, why we're here, and, and why we do things the way that we do them. And my hope uh, through this exploration that we get to do together is to sort of remind you um, and invite you to be a part of our mission going forward. Because honestly, the need for a church like Keystone in our community has never been greater. A church that exists with the express purpose to help people find and follow Jesus. A church that seeks to remove all of the cultural obstacles that can unintentionally get in the way of someone coming to faith. So that's kind of why we're here and what we're about, big picture. And with our time today, what we get to do is continue our exploration of the biblical and theological foundations of Keystone's three-part strategy uh, that really drives everything we do as a church. Around here, we call it Welcome, Wonder, work. Um, and it's portable and it's easy to remember, so I like it. But, but basically, we desire to be a, create a welcoming place uh, where all people can come and wonder together about what it looks like to take the next step in their faith journey and where they can work together for positive change in our world. So welcome, wonder, and work. Uh, and today we get to unpack why we believe it's so critical around here to intentionally connect people to one another, to wonder together. Uh, in order for us to grow in our faith. And the strategy begins with a really simple observation. Uh, It goes like this. For all of us humans, um, community is essential if we're going to do what we know we should do. And if we're going to avoid doing those things that deep down we know that we shouldn't do. In fact, real, authentic, vulnerable community is essential if you're going to grow in your faith. And if you think about it, you actually already know that that's true. I mean, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus, uh, you know that most of us Christians can agree on how we should live, like how we should represent Jesus in the world. But most of us would also agree that we don't always do what we should do. Uh, Here's just a few examples to make us all feel bad about ourselves. One, Jesus told his first followers to forgive others as they have been forgiven by God. And he was really clear about it. But, But here's the thing. If we're honest, many of us, we just can't seem to do it. Or maybe it's just me, right? So, so here's the question. What can we do when we can't seem to do what we know we should do? And I had a lot of fun writing that sentence, right? What can we do when we can't seem to do what we know we should do? 
but that's example one. Example number two goes like this. Jesus also told his followers just something really easy one day, kind of off the cuff. Love your enemies, he said. And show favor to people that don't deserve it, that can't earn it, and can't ever repay it. And here's the thing, his instructions, you know, didn't come in the form of like a complicated story that needed to be interpreted by a highly credentialed biblical scholar. He just said, love your enemies. And he like dropped the shofar and he walked away, right? Yeah, yeah. But see, if we're honest, many of us, you know, we know that we're supposed to love our enemies, but we just can't seem to do it, especially when we think about loving them. <laughs> and we all have a them in our lives that we struggle to love, don't we? If they're sitting next to you, don't elbow them. It's awkward. Yeah, right? So again, what can we do when we can't seem to do what we know we should do? And just one more example because we're having so much fun. Then there were all those times that Jesus told his followers to be radically generous. To sacrifice their time and their talents and their treasures for the benefit of other people. And they were to do it with like no strings attached. And once again, these instructions are super easy to understand but they're also super easy to identify a reason not to follow. A reason to tell Jesus that, you know, you get what he's saying and you're going to get to the whole radical generosity thing, but you're just going to do it later. Like in a less chaotic season of life, when, when there are less commitments. Like, you know, when the kids finally get off to college and, and like before the grandkids come, because that gets crazy too, right? Uh, in my experience, it's pretty normal for us Christians to say that we'll get to the whole radical generosity thing later, even though deep down we know it's something we really should prioritize. It's like we get it and we want to, or maybe we want to want to, but we, we just can't seem to make it a priority. So one more time, what can we do when we can't seem to do what we know we should do? Well, before I go any farther, I want to share something else that I've noticed during my time as a pastor that's connected to all this. Uh, basically, you know, many of the same Christians who would confess that we don't always do what we know we should do would also confess that we aren't particularly satisfied with our faith journey. <laughs> it's like I've had friends say to me, you know, I go to church, I, I do the church thing, but I have this sense that I'm missing something. And a friend said to me once, you know, I feel like I believe the right things, but I just can't seem to, I don't know, to do what I need to do in order to experience the life that God has for me, the life that I see described in the pages of the New Testament. So that's why around here, one of the key strategies that we've organized around since the beginning is to connect people who desire to grow in their faith to one another in real, authentic, appropriately vulnerable communities. Because a community like that really can help us do what we know we need to do. It can encourage us to do things that are hard to do and keep us accountable to make the changes that we know we need to make. Now, lest you think that we're completely brilliant and came up with this idea on our own, you need to know that like most of the stuff we try to do around here, it comes directly from Jesus. In fact, when you read the letters that make up most of the New Testament of your Bible, you'll see the idea that people can help one another grow in their faith. You see that idea everywhere. Uh, the authors of those letters that make up the New Testament repeatedly encourage followers of Jesus to do things like forgive one another and accept one another and care for one another and encourage one another and submit to one another and restore one another and, and carry one another's burdens. Like, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that the authors of the New Testament believe that following Jesus must be done in the context 
of community, where you know some other people intimately and you're known by other people intimately. Now, I'm aware that um, this idea may actually surprise a few of us if you grew up in church like I did. Because, you know, if that's your story, you may have inadvertently picked up what I like to call a, a vertically oriented version of Christianity. And here's what I mean by that. You may have caught the idea, because it's almost never taught directly, but you sort of caught the idea that as long as you like attended church most of the time, you know, put money in the offering basket sometimes and, and didn't break any of the Ten Commandments, you'd pretty much be good with God, right? That's kind of the whole of it. And if you think about it, that version of faith demanded that you focus your energies vertically to be constantly looking up in order to monitor, like, where do you stand with God? In other words, your faith journey was all about you and God. Like, in a lot of ways, no other humans were necessary. But, but here's the thing. Um, as we've said, that's not the sort of life that the authors of the New Testament described for a follower of Jesus. Instead of obsessing with the vertical, they instructed them to focus on the horizontal, like where the other people are. And to show you what I mean, and with the rest of our time, what I want to do is take you to a passage from a New Testament letter called Hebrews. And it was originally written by a first century Jewish Christian to other first century Jewish Christians who were struggling with the shift from a vertically oriented faith to a horizontal one. And so as we enter the text that we get to explore today, you should know the author has just celebrated how Jesus was the fulfillment of the entire vertically oriented Jewish sacrificial system. And here's what I mean by that. Prior to the sacrifice of Jesus, Jewish people were taught to maintain their relationship with God or to maintain peace with God through regular animal sacrifices on the altar at the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And that was how they understood religion. But see, with the sacrifice of Jesus, the author of Hebrews basically says everything has changed now. It's like a new era in human history and a new era in human religion. And the author summarized that new reality when he said this. He writes, and you can almost hear the energy in his voice, or at least I can as I imagine it, right? We have been made holy, like blameless, pure through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ. And then these three words, once for all. Now, when like the original audience read these words, they would have known exactly what the author was talking about. The author was saying that because of Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' followers have been restored to right relationship with God once and for all. In other words, Jesus' sacrifice was the final sacrifice necessary for sin. And the implications of that reality were like staggering. It's, the author is saying that because of Jesus, there was no longer a need for a temple or an altar or for people to obsess about their relationship with God. It's like he's saying now because of Jesus, if you're a follower, you have new marching orders. And, and that's why a few verses later, he pivots from discussing the vertical to the horizontal. He says, like, in light of what has happened, here's what you need to do. He says, let us fold, uh, fold unswervingly, hold unswervingly, rather, to the hope we profess. For he who promises faithful. In other words, Jesus has you secure with God. He says, and, next verse, let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. The one another thing surfaces here. And what's interesting is the Greek word that's translated spur here, it's really interesting. It basically means, you know, to encourage, 
or stir up or irritate or agitate or provoke. And you're like, dude, I've had a small group before. Yep, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like, it's like this abrasive thing. We need to be in each other's business. The author says, you know, basically followers of Jesus need to be in each other's lives to the point that when they see someone in their life with whom they're connected intimately struggling, they're struggling to forgive someone they need to forgive or to demonstrate generosity or to love their enemies, they could intervene, agitate them, and encourage them to do, here's what they know they need to do, but are probably never going to do if they're left to their own devices. In other words, the author is saying here that the Christian life simply isn't an in, about an individual believing the right things. That's important. That's where it starts. But he said, if you want to grow, you need to enter authentic, appropriately vulnerable community with other followers of Jesus in which you can spur one another on to love and serve and give and forgive just like Jesus loved and served and gave and forgave. Well, as he continues now, the author of Hebrews writes that not only do followers of Jesus need to spur one another on towards loving good deeds, that we, they also need to make sure that they are, and this is huge, not giving up on meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And so I remember when I was in high school, my youth pastor used this verse to encourage us to come back to church each week and to sit in a row and to listen to him teach. And that's not a bad thing, but honestly, I don't think that's what the author of Hebrews was talking about here because of what he says next. So he says, not giving up a meeting together, but he says, encouraging one another. In other words, he's like, followers of Jesus can't afford to stop meeting together in such a way that they can encourage one another. And obviously, to encourage one another, people need to be in community with one another. A community of trust, and a community of vulnerability, and a community of accountability. And I love that the author uses the word encourage here, because if you think about the word encourage, it basically means to instill courage in someone else. It's like a courage transplant. And, and given the context, that makes a lot of sense. Because I think we all know that it takes real courage sometimes to live out our faith to do what we know we need to do at work and in our neighborhoods and at school. It takes a lot of courage to do the hard thing and the selfless thing and the generous thing. I mean, that's why Jesus intended the life of his followers to be a one another thing. We need to be in relationship with one another if we're going to grow to be more like Jesus, if we're going to do the things that we know that we should do. Now, as great as all that is, I think there's something else here that's worth considering too, because over the years, um, I've noticed something. I've had the honor of journeying with a lot of you and a lot of friends, um, and, and that's this. There is a strong correlation between a connection to Christian community, and I don't just mean like rows in church, but like other Christians who are in your life and up in your business, right? Um, there's a connection between that sort of thing and faithfulness to God. And, and again, you may have noticed this too. If, I mean, if, if you're honest, some of you have a season in your past where you would say, you know, I drifted away from my faith. And if I said, how did it start? You'd say, well, I think it started when I sort of drifted away from, from a community of faith. And maybe for you, you bailed from church due to a relational conflict. Like that person was there and you're like, I'm not going to be there if they're there. And it's understandable. 
Um, or maybe you like graduated from college and moved to a new city and you kept thinking, well, I'm going to find a church, but I'm really kind of busy. And then you got busier and then you got busier and then you got out of the habit. Or maybe you just disengaged from vulnerable, authentic community during the pandemic. Like you pulled back and you pulled in and you insulated and you found your quarantine, which is a great word, right? Yeah. And, that, you know, and that's understandable too. But, but maybe for, for you, you'd say, you know what? When I stopped gathering with other people who believed in Jesus and that I could be open with about my own struggles and even the fact that I felt like I was losing my faith, I started to lose my faith. It's like whatever reason you were you no longer surrounded by people of faith and your faith began to erode, began to drift. And there was no one in your circle to spur you on to do what you know that you should do. There was no one to give you a courage transplant. And initially you thought, well, I mean, it's no big deal. I mean, I can read my Bible. I can watch church online. I mean, if Brady's bad, I'll just go to a different channel, right? It's awesome. Yeah. It's like, right? Yeah. I don't, I don't need other people to help me pursue my faith. But see, then over time, your lack of relational connection with other followers of Jesus began to impact how you thought about life, and how you thought about faith. I mean, if you abandon real, authentic, appropriately vulnerable community with other Jesus followers who know you and who are intimately known by you, it's very likely that you will drift in your faith as well. And eventually, you won't do the things that you know that you should do, the things that you, deep down, you want to do. And that's why I'm convinced in Jesus' design, community is absolutely essential to a healthy, growing faith. Community where you are to be personally challenged and encouraged to be more like Jesus. Community is where you're reminded of your tendencies to be self-focused and short-sighted. It's when you have people in your life that can point out your blind spots. Like, hey man, I don't think you're seeing this like the rest of us are seeing this. Maybe you're too far down and you need someone to shine the flashlight on your life. But listen, that's, that's why we're here. That's one of the reasons of community. Community is a place where your story is known and you come to know the story of others. It's where you can be real about your doubts and your struggles and your questions. I mean, you might even say this, like to miss community as a follower of Jesus is to miss the point. And, and that's why, that's why the author of Hebrews says what he says. You know, I, I did some thinking this week. I'm like, what, what sort of thing would lead a Christian leader in the first century to write something like that? Uh, why, you know, wh why were they giving up on meeting together? That doesn't even make sense. Well, here's the deal. I think early Jewish Christians had stopped meeting together with other believers because I think a few of them got tired of the drama. Because Christians are people. Maybe you've noticed this. Maybe not in your circle, right? But sometimes we're a little drama, right? Or, or maybe things got messy and weird in their community or, or they were tired and life got busy and they decided it just wasn't worth the time or or maybe they became exhausted with someone like in their group who was so needy. They had this season where they got so needy that each time they left group, they felt like someone had sucked out their soul with a tractor beam. Yeah, you know, none of us have experienced that, I know, right? But yeah, yeah. And, and so they just said, you know what? I remember when, when it was simpler. <laughs> I remember when there weren't, you know, people involved. It was just me and God and I could just show up and I could pay up and then go on with my life. It, you know, just, just me and God. And my guess is that some Jewish believers had even reverted to visiting the temple in Jerusalem and bringing an animal to sacrifice. To which the author of Hebrews wanted to scream. The good news is that that whole system has been fulfilled. 
It had its day, and now it's a better day. It's a new day, because you don't have to be concerned with the vertical anymore. Jesus took care of that for you once for all. So shift your gaze to the horizontal, because it's in the horizontal that you'll find the help that you need to live the life that you were made to live. It's in the horizontal where you find a team of people to help you grow in your faith, because the Christian life simply isn't intended to be done alone. In fact, as far as growing your faith is concerned, and this is actually the title today, I was pretty excited about it, It's Better Together. Sounds like a Jack Johnson song, I know, right? But yeah, it's better together. And, and so, like, here's my question for you. And it's a great question whether this is your first week here at Keystone, and welcome, or if you're turning in online for the first time, you know, welcome to you too. Uh, or if you've been here since the very beginning. And, and the question goes like this. Um, is there anyone outside of your family spurring you on to live out your faith? Like right here, right now, as we sit here this morning. You say, who is it in my life that has the keys, that has the permission to speak hard truth to me. If I start going off the rails, who is it that has permission to get up in my business and irritate me, right? But they irritate me not because they're judging me, but because they love me. It's like, who is it in my life who has permission to lovingly take me out to the woodshed? It doesn't have to be everybody. And I know the Spartans are now calling their stadium the woodshed, which well done there. I kind of like that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but does anyone in your life have permission to do that? Does anyone in your life have access like that? And maybe another question, is there an environment in your life where matters of faith come up regularly and naturally? Uh, it, it's the difference between a group of guys that meets on a Wednesday night and has conversation about life and struggles and a group that meets on a Wednesday night for an hour and opens up and says, man, how's your heart? How you really doing? How's your faith intersecting with the challenges that you have? And that, that, that's a natural part of the conversation. There's, there's just a difference. Or maybe for you, you'd say, you know, if I think about it, if I'm honest, like my Christian experience has basically been like sitting in rows and listening and, and taking notes. And, and that's okay. That's where a lot of, for a lot of us it starts. But I'm telling you, if you really want to grow, you need to find a circle of other followers of Jesus in which you can have an honest conversation about faith. Because I'm telling you, when it comes to growing in your faith, rows are good. I mean, we learn in rows, that's great. But circles are better. Because circles are where you learn what you learn, how you learn what, what we learned in rows. How does that connect to our lives? And often that only happens with conversation, like back and forth and not simply, not simply monologue. That's why I've said for years, like what happens in circles, it's, it's better than what happens in rows. And as you can probably tell, I get super passionate about this. I did have a little extra coffee today too, but I still get, I get passionate about this because honestly, I care about you. And I've had conversations with so many friends over the years that are just like, I wish my faith were more. And I'm like, I get it. We've all had seasons like that. But man, I'm telling you, community is the key to unlocking that potential. It, it's good to believe the right things, absolutely. But then that's where it starts. But that's not the whole of the Christian life. And, and, and so in order to really activate that potential, it does take ongoing encouragement from community. So here's the challenge, and we'll land here. If you don't have a group of people with whom you share your life and your faith, find one. 
I'm telling you, and we're going to help you do that around here. Like in the next few weeks and months, if you're paying attention or you're on the website, you're going to see a whole bunch of opportunities that are coming to connect with one another, to wonder together around here. So take them, like plug in. Maybe for you, it's serving with our children's ministry and meeting a few other people to create context for those conversations. And, and like open up about your story. And, and I'm telling you, you'll start to grow. Spend some time with other messy broken people who are trying to do what they know they should do. And I'm telling you, your faith and your life will never be the same. All right, now if you're here in the room, I'd love to invite you to stand and I'll close our time in prayer. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, um, this morning, I just, I want to say thank you for the community that is gathered here and the network of relationships that already exists, the hundreds of us that, that are already in the process of one anothering one another. And, and we just say thank you for this reminder. And I also pray for people here who've never connected in a meaningful way to another human in their church um, where they can have open, honest conversation. I pray that you would give them courage to reach out to a few friends they already know here and, and maybe you know, offer to get together or maybe you know, send us an email, give us a call. I mean, give them the courage to take that first step. And I pray that moving forward, um, the network of relationships at this place would grow stronger and stronger so that we might encourage one another to be more like Jesus because you sent him to die for our sins and so that we would know where we stand with you. And before he died, you sent him to show us a better way to live and we desire to follow Jesus. And we know that we do that best when we have a community who's encouraging us. And so for today, we say thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the gift of this place. Thank you for 25 years. And we ask that you would bless us so that the next 25 will be even better. So that the name of Jesus might be lifted high in our community. And so we thank you. We celebrate you. We love you. It is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you, friends. We'll see you next week for the conclusion of 25. <laughs>